As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growling, Paul Inner Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic. Excited to be with you here. It is playoff week. Round one, wild card. You know, this used to be the round that Bengals fans <laughs> would fret and bemoan, and we'd talk about streaks, and we'd call Kevin Walker. Those times have passed, Jay. Now we just talk about how, oh, this is the start of the second season, right? This is the start of the Bengals getting back to the spot where they knew they would be. How times have changed. Yeah, we, we still have another month of football left. Potentially. Potentially. Potentially that's right. Um, so there's plenty, of, uh, plenty to get to here. Bengals-Ravens, of course, set for Sunday night football at Paycor Stadium. Uh We'll have plenty to cover this week when it comes to this game, the rematch um, on our Thursday show. Dan Horde will join us, Bengals play-by-play, voice, and led local legend, of course. And then uh, Jeff Zrebeck will be back as well. We're going to go a little bit more, I'm sure. I'm guessing we'll ask about Lamar Jackson uh, to Jeff. <laughs> as we, you know, you heard, heard from him last week, but he'll be back again this week. Both of those on our Thursday show. Uh, and today, of course, Mo Eger will join us. We will go through all of our normal things we do there. We've got a bunch of news to tick through. Um, we want to talk a little bit of big picture about where the Bengals are at, a little bit of a profile of them entering the postseason. Obviously, where they're at is on an eight-game winning streak. Jay, you know I've got some stats on that. Yes, I've got great. some stats. I got some stats. I did. I, I couldn't even hold them long enough yesterday. <laughs> I spoiled them by telling them to you. I like to give them to you live so you, yeah. you can react along with the listener. Uh, however, uh, I couldn't. I couldn't hold them in anymore. So I've got some. I've got some streak stats, which we tapped into a little bit a few weeks ago. But I kind of now we have a very specific view of it. We were able to take a look at something uh, that I think was fairly telling and interesting in. In regards to one very important question about 
this team's chances to win the Super Bowl. Um, we, I want to re- have us revisit our predictions a little bit, just for a touch. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had some at the midseason. I had some from before the season. S- some stuff in there that's, I think, important to hit on. Uh, we have a really good run, pass, or boot uh, given yeah. to us on Twitter and uh, all kinds of stuff to get to. Let's, let's tick through some news real quick. Um, you know, biggest news this week, Alex Kappa does not look good on him. He's not going to play on Sunday. Zach Taylor essentially confirming that yesterday. Um, you know, all signs point to um, him not being back in the playoffs. But again, we shall see. You can see how that goes, but certainly um, not great there. Max Sharping, as we've talked about, will be the guy. A little bit more insight, Jay, into Max yesterday as we've kind of poked around and talked a little bit to some people about him. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have tweeted, who is this guy? What do we know about him? Even though he's in his fourth year in the league, he he started three years. He wasn't a full-time starter, but he started three years in in Houston. Um, He's played both left guard and right guard. They switched him to right guard last year, so he played. He he started the entire season at right guard, and um, just kind of interesting what Brian Callahan said yesterday about. um, I I was surprised a a guy. We all know how lacking O line depth is across the league, and a guy like that with that kind of experience, a second round pick in twenty nineteen, how the Bengals were able to get him on waivers when they had the 31st waiver pick uh, way back at cutdown day. And, you know, he, he, Max was one of those performance escalator bonus receivers. So his, his, he was due 2.4 million this year. Might've scared a lot of teams off. Uh, Bengals flying in the face of their cheap label were not scared off, uh, put a claim in on him and a bit of an insurance policy. It was, uh, it looked like it may only be that. um, And now, it's uh, that they're going to need it. And it'll be interesting to see how, how he can come in and play. He got 30 snaps, um, only four pass blocking snaps in that Ravens game. So going to be uh, relied on a lot more, obviously moving forward. Yeah. I mean, the, the $2.5 million is something that, you know, obviously Houston wanted to get out from under and felt like mm-hmm. that teams would want to, and they could get him back at a cheaper rate. Um, but uh, you know, the one thing that Brian Callahan also said was, well, a lot of teams don't manage their cap well. A lot of teams yeah. didn't have the kind of money they'd be willing to spend or have to just throw around at that point. But the Bengals do. The Bengals had space. The Bengals kept space for such things. And so they were the one that was able uh, to pay the price to have him on the roster. So that's kind of, you know, you hear cut, cut down. He he really wasn't your typical cut down. I mean, a, no. an offensive lineman with starting experience that isn't totally awful um, is pretty hard to find in that spot. And Bengals were able to to pull a move. We will see if we are talking about that as one of the moves of the season that we didn't realize mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, if this team does make a run over the next month, because it will be critical. You now have Max Sharping and Akeem Adeniji on the right side instead of Alex Kappa and Lael Collins. That's significant. Um, and, you know, you already have a lot of other things going on there. We'll tap into that a little bit in a second in the concern section. Jay, the referee is going to be Clay Martin on Sunday. You remember I, him. I don't, actually. And I think that's a good sign for Bengals fans. And that He may be one of the most anonymous names that you haven't heard. And so when you know that, then you're feeling good. 
Well, I don't know if you. I I tweeted it out uh, yesterday after you uh, had mentioned that he was going to be the the referee. The last time he worked a Bengals game was the 2020 season opener, which I think a lot of fans mm. remember for the AJ Green OPI. He's not the one that called it; it was his crew, obviously. Um, and then the game before that, he worked the the Bengals Ravens game in Baltimore in 2019. But yes, not not a guy that the Bengals have a lot of experience playing in front of. Made my calves seize up just hearing about that game. Uh, jo- we have uh, more jobs open. We have Arizona now, Cliff Kingsbury out, Houston, Indianapolis, Carolina, Denver all out. Sean McVay maybe on the outs. Jordan Rodriguez with a piece uh, taking a deeper look into that up on the uh, on the site right now. So jobs are beginning to open. No requests put in at this point uh, for any of the Bengals assistant coaches. Um, Lamar Jackson, will he play? John Harbaugh answered with that's that's me doing a shrug for those <laughs> yeah. of you who are listening. I, I need to do it the old Mike Zimmer way. We used to call it the audible shrug because Mike yeah. Zimmer, uh, it would be really cold in December and he'd wear these big, heavy, like puffy swoosh coats so you could hear him like swooshing. And so on your recorder when you were listening, you just hear like whoosh. <laughs> and that's the sound of Mike Zimmer giving an audible shrug to whatever your question was. So I always think about that when I think about audible shrugs. That's basically what John Harbaugh gave yesterday. They don't know. They don't seem to know. They're hoping to get him on the practice field. They'll have to see. We'll all have to see. It wasn't the most encouraging thing that you've ever heard from a head coach in regards to whether he would play this weekend. And uh, a lot more Jeff Zrebeck on Baltimore side, who you will hear from mm. on Thursday, has a story up now kind of diving into all of what people are saying about Lamar Jackson potentially playing on Sunday and pointing out the obvious. It's probably the difference between winning or losing. Yeah. And, you know, last week it felt like that was honest from Harbaugh about not knowing what to get, what they were going to get from Lamar. This feels like it could be gamesmanship. Maybe they do know and they just don't want to put it out there. But it is what well, he's missed five games in a row now has not practiced at all. Not only has he not played, he's not practiced. There's you have to figure is going to be some rush. You have to figure that he's not 100 percent. And we saw this last year when the Bengals played Baltimore in Baltimore. He was not 100 percent. And that that Ravens offense was not at all what you're used to seeing. And the Bengals were able to do a great job of hemming him in and using a spy. And so we'll, we'll learn more as the week goes on. But uh, it, the one thing that is certain is they are not going to get a 100% Lamar Jackson. Yeah, that's just it. It's not like we're talking about a shoulder or something. I mean, it's his knee. Mm-hmm. Like if you're talking about what makes Lamar Jackson truly special – um, it's the explosiveness as a runner, and that's what gives so much trouble. So if you are getting less than 100% Lamar Jackson even, that's also you know a, a whole different ball game. Uh, so we'll continue to keep an eye on that, keep reading Jeff, following Jeff, and, and listening to what he has to say uh, when we record. Jay, you're recording that tomorrow on Wednesday with him, so that should be mm-hmm. up on the YouTube channel uh, even earlier if you want to – if you're just antsy to find out what's going on in Baltimore. Um, also, on the other side of the bracket, uh, Tua not cleared yet for Miami, who's playing the Bills, obviously of significance for the Bengals, because if they were to beat the Ravens, an upset by the Dolphins would turn that into a home game in round two uh, instead of having to go to Orchard Park. But as of now, Tua not cleared from that concussion. We'll find they, uh, Coach McDaniel said they'll find out more on Wednesday um, in terms of where that stands. But as of now, not necessarily like a super. They're still kind of checking Teddy Bridgewater. So you, I mean, look, if it ain't if it ain't Tua, it ain't winning. 
Mm-hmm. And so at that point, you know, all respect to Teddy Bridgewater and whatever's going with his pinky, but uh, if two ain't playing, they're not winning. And the Bengals, if they win, would be going to Orchard Park. Um, TJ Hushmanzada, championship, yes. <laughs> is going to be a ruler of the jungle. Good, going to be cool to have TJ back. Everybody loves TJ. Jay, you got stats on TJ. I do. Um, I, I, I always remembered him having good games against the Ravens. And so I went back and looked to see what his career numbers were. Um, in 13 games, he had 77 catches for 987 yards and six touchdowns against the Ravens. If you extrapolate that to a 16 game season, that's 95 catches, 1,215 yards and seven touchdowns. So uh, a good guy to bring back for this specific specific matchup, especially because he also played one season with the Ravens at the end of his career. Yeah. Um, Okay. That's kind of most of the news. Jay, did I miss any news? I don't think so. I think we, I think I take that all off. Yes. Um, Let's get into something that I think is important. Let's take a profile pick here. All right. Um, Snapshot of the Bengals, where they're at. And we'll do it this way. We've kind of done this a few different forms of late. But as they enter this second season, they enter this playoff, what they hope to be run, but for now, a game against Baltimore. I think there's reasons for concern, despite the fact that they've won eight in a row, despite that they're as hot as anybody. You know, I wrote about this weekend. I mean, they have as good a chance to win this Super Bowl as anybody. They, they are amongst the big five now, I think you call it. I've, I'm kicking Dallas out. No more big <laughs> six. Dallas to the curb. I'm not buying them anymore. Uh, you know, there's, I think there's five teams that you say, These, this is where the champion's coming from. They're amongst them. And that is, that's all you can ask for in so many ways, really, to reach this point. But let's really analyze where they're at. I have some here in front of me. Biggest reason for concern, Jay, that you start with right now? Um, Well, I think it's the right side of the line. I do think there's optimism there that Max Sharpen can play well, but still you're talking about the entire right side of your line has been blown up by injuries and they're not running the ball well. Um, And we saw it Sunday where, yeah, the Ravens only sacked Joe Burrow twice, but they had him running around quite a bit. And I I just as disjointed as this offense has been. And now you're, you're taking another piece away from that offensive line and the way Ravens Bengals games tend to go being low, low scoring, anyhow points are going to be at a premium and you, you just wonder, are are they going to be able to, to score enough points to, to beat the Ravens, even though it's not a great offense um, this there's, there's questions about that offensive line and the offense as a whole. Yes, and that's where I start too. And it's it's not, you know, it's hard to say this again. We keep talking about how you're getting nitpicky at yeah. a certain point, and, and and we are, but also because there's there's reason to because you haven't seen the full consistent performance for a little bit now from them offensively. Um, you know, you go, I went back and looked. Going back to week 11 is uh, just on. It's kind of trying to take a picture of how teams are trending, where, where we look at the way the teams are trending. Since week 11, 
Uh, Bengals are eighth in points per drive offense and eighth in points per drive defense. I mean, that's good. But mm-hmm. I think we think of that Bengals offense as being much more dynamic than that. And that also includes a lot of short fields they've gotten because their defense has been really good at creating turnovers lately, which is something I'll get to in a second. They've been 13th in red zone offense. Um, they've been sixth in adjusted net yards per attempt, 13th in EPA per play. I mean, They've been good, but again, you know they were were playing. I think there's a thought of them at at the the highest level. That doesn't mean they can't rise up, but I'm just saying for world profiling where they're at. I mean, they faced a string of some pretty good defenses here. Now, New England number one in weighted DVO DVOA defense, Baltimore five, uh, just the last couple of weeks, um, and so. They've they've seen some of that, some of the better defenses in the league, um, and they've had periods where they have looked unstoppable. I mean, they just right. look incredible. I mean, almost every game they've had stretches of that, but it hasn't necessarily been consistent because they've had some long stretches where they've looked quite human. Um, and that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because it only take at this level, you know, if you don't have the complete game, if you have the long stretches. Um, where it doesn't work, that's it, right? I mean, I go back to the stat that people don't even want to think about anymore, but they hadn't gone five straight drives without points, I believe, all season from like week one on until the last five drives of their season last year in the Super Bowl. Um, one stretch like that in this in at this point can doom you, and so that in the back of the head to me is a is is something that. Again, it's not something that you're I don't think that is like overly concerning, but it's it's noted, right? It's noted that there that has been a thing that has been happening. They went five straight drives without scoring on Sunday. Right. I mean, it right. it, it is. It's it's a definite concern. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One other portion of that is to talk about the run game. And Jay, you mentioned it um, when we talk about you, you lose Kappa and Collins, who are such a big part of that gap scheme, downhill, power run game that they had really leaned into and was really successful in flipping their efficiency uh, during the year. And so that makes it more challenging there. They lose something there big time. And the last three weeks, they have been the worst rushing team in football. The last three games for them, last four weeks mm-hmm. in the league. Um, they are 31st 
in rush success percentage. Um, only the Jets, who like don't score touchdowns the last month, um, <laughs> are worse. And their 2.78 yards per carry over that stretch is dead last 32nd. So now they've like reverted back, right? The long stretch happened where everything was good. And now of late, they can't run the ball with any efficiency. Um, it's just not there. Are teams figuring it out? Are they not f- running it enough because they have leaned so heavily into Burrow, just whipping it around? Um, hard to say, but that was something that was making them so dangerous, Jay. I mean, that's, that was part of what was had their offense humming so much was teams wanted to sit back. They would get so concerned, and Burrow was just handing it off, those gun runs up the middle, and getting an efficient run at, such, at, a, at the highest clip in the league, whether it was Mixon or Pirine. And now they're at the lowest the last three games. That's another concern. I think they've been quick to pivot where if it's – if it's not work, if they they can't get the run game going early, they just kind of go the other way and go to the the checkdowns and the short passes that they view as an extension of sure. the run game. I mean, how many of those wide receiver screens do we see that that didn't work at all against the Ravens? And then the the, the short passes to Mixon and P Ryan, but it is it is a concern because it playoff football changes. Yes, it's a passing league, and this is this is not our father's NFL, but you have to run the ball in the postseason to advance. Um, and you, you wonder with those two guys out, I mean, what's it going to look like? It it's that you see the trend going down and it's just hard to fathom it climbing back up to where it was with their top two run blockers out. Maybe they can get it straightened out and be better than they've been the last three weeks, which wouldn't be hard to do, but can they get back to where they were, where they were the league's most efficient run game? I, that seems like a, a pie in, pie in the sky hope. It's not impossible. I, I don't necessarily agree. I don't necessarily think that you have to run the ball in the postseason, but I do think you need to find some efficiency in spots. Like you, you whether it's finishing a game, mm. whether it's in just, you know, if when teams are daring you to, um, you have to be able to have that as a real threat. Um because it because it opens up your passing game. Uh and I think that's a big part of uh where you you wonder if that can work itself out. And I don't think it's I don't think it's impossible for it to be efficient enough when you have Burrow, but for now it's it can't be 32nd. It can't be 2.78 yards per carry. Like that's that's gotta find a little bit more efficiency as they go forward. Yeah, and, and another area where they they've been really good and where the running game is important is in that four or five minute offense at the end of the half and the end of games, because there there is a sense a lot of times where you you're trying to score, but you're not trying to score too fast. And, and you need to be able to run the run the ball and kind of eat more clock um, to, to make those end of half, end of games drive, it, those drives eat as much off the time, off the clock as possible, leave the opponent with as little amount of time. Um, so that that's another area that where this team has been really good at doing that, especially the end of the first half. Um, so we'll see. I mean, like you said, it's, it's not out of the question, but it's just it doesn't there's there's not a lot of cause for optimism right now where the run game is. Yeah. Um so sorry to open with the downer. Usually usually we like to usually we like to start yeah. up a little bit. It's probably unnecessary, but let's go into some optimism side of this thing. Um look, all optimism starts the same place it always starts, Jay. 
Joe Burrow. It's Joe Burrow, man. It's Joe playoffs, Joe Burrow. It's big lights, Joe Burrow. It's big stage, Joe Burrow. Over and over again, uh, we've seen this where it rises up. You see the next level. You see the will to win. You see the ability to always find a way. Um, now, we saw um, him admit that he was off this past week and, and he missed some throws where you're just, I mean, the one to T Higgins where he's wide open in the end zone. We saw that and it was, it was weird, but there's no real concern that that's going to be a long-term thing. I want to bring in this clip from Brian Callahan. I think, I believe it was Dan Horde uh, asking him kind of specifically about the weirdness of in Burrow admitting himself, just missing throws. He absolutely never misses. And, and just the reaction to that. Getting back to Burrow for a second, as you pointed out earlier, and as he said yesterday, missing throws. As sharp as he's been, was it almost shocking to see him, you know, miss a wide open touchdown to T and stuff like that? That one was surprising um, because we've 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 definitely worked that play for a couple of weeks now, and it's you know, something we felt really good about. And um, to have him miss that throw the way he did was like, whoa, what happened there? Um, but that's just how spoiled we've become, with how accurate he is. You know, I mean, it's. He misses like one throw, and you're like, "Oh my God, how come he didn't make that?" <laughs> and it's like, oh "Yeah, guys miss throws sometimes. It happens." So uh, I was surprised. I didn't, didn't. You don't anticipate him missing very often because he usually doesn't. But did you ask him what happened? What's that? Did you ask him? Did you ask him what happened? Uh, I haven't talked to him about it since. I know I try to leave those things away, alone until yeah. the next day or two. <laughs> um, let him process it himself, and then have him tell me what he what he thought. But he watched the film of pitch today, so. Uh, I'm sure they had a conversation about it, but I think he just sometimes they just miss. It just happens. The one it's going, not very often, but yeah. I say the one going the other way, going right to left, where it looked like T maybe could it was that more on T than on Joe? Yeah, I thought that was a play that, that T could have and should have made. I think he probably tied the same thing. Uh, he didn't quite get two hands all the way through it. He kind of had one out and he had one pinned, and he kind of got it late. Mm. Um, that's usually a catch again. Same thing. Usually you catch that that T is made. Um, but I thought the throw in that one was in that one in particular was a good throw. You said last week that that field shuffle pass kind of got you guys to reassess your red zone efficiency and it's gotten better. Mm-hmm. How much do you guys you think have gotten better at maybe cover two, you know, two high looks like you mentioned? Because it seems like Burrow's done really well against those looks since that game. He's been, uh, I think you, you could say he's probably been one of the best, most efficient quarterbacks against two high safeties. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but they're pretty pretty good. Um, you know, it, it it took, a, it took a small adjustment period, but it doesn't. It's just how people have played us this year, and we've gotten pretty good at, at attacking it. So, uh, and Joe in particular has been really efficient. I, I don't think it's a, it's not something we even think twice about anymore. How much better has he gotten at not, you know, he's responsible for some sacks, at mm-hmm. not taking the sacks? He's been fantastic. Um, I don't know that he's been uh, any different in terms of like he's been this way kind of all year of once we got past that first couple weeks of just understanding uh, when and where's an acceptable time to, to take a sack and he's got such a great feel for the pocket that even yesterday there's a couple of them where you were like oh god don't don't do that oh great play you know way to go because uh, he's he's navigates it so well and you know you, you sort of let his instincts take over sometimes and you try to just point out situations where a sack is probably not good here on the first and ten uh, you want to extend the play on third and 12, and so be it, extend it. Um, so I think it's just a balance of him just understanding and growing and maturing through that process of 
when when it's okay to, to be aggressive and, and when you probably should pull back the reins on being aggressive. But at the end of the day, we're always going to defer to his instincts and his ability, and, and it's usually going to work out pretty good. So there, you know, that's how you've been spoiled, as Brian Callahan says, right? I mean, a little bit with just you get so used to it. I don't there's if there's he's the last thing that you're concerned about in the building you know i don't mm-hmm. think i don't think there's any worries about that it was just a weird day where just think everything was kind of a tick off for whatever reason um you know but his his pocket movement and presence was probably as good as it's ever been in a game it was really elite stuff and so it's it's a give and take. I, I don't you you know what you're getting from Joe Burrow, and he can play like the best quarterback in football over the next month, and that would not be even surprising one iota to anyone. Yeah, and, and I wonder too because you know the, these guys are human, and they know when when they see Baltimore sitting everybody and basically not giving up on this game, but it has a different feel. And you saw right out of the gate on that first drive, he had Jamar wide open for a touchdown and under through him. Um, and you just you, you wonder how much of that played into it, where it didn't it didn't have that intensity that a game normally has. And now you you shift into the postseason where the intensity is at an all time high. And I, I think you do. It's almost you see Joe Burrow be at his best when the game's on the line in the fourth quarter. You look at the season in a macro view, and this is it. This is the fourth quarter of the season. Playoffs, everything matters. And, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't worry too much about last week's shaky performance. I think you're going to see Joe Burrow at his best this weekend. Yeah. Um, another thing, you know, I, I asked Brian about this, but we've seen a lot of physicality from corners, particularly against Jamar chase and, and not a lot of flags have been thrown. You know, the, the bit of the bills game that was played opened with a, a PI on Tredavious white for contact, but we saw the Patriots took that approach. They were very physical with Jamar and didn't see hardly any flags thrown Baltimore also doing that. You saw a couple of plays where they weren't able to get completions, a ton of contact um, teams playing this, I guess, sit collision, uh, coverage um, where they kind of wait on him and just make it's kind of like they run right into him to make contact on purpose. Um, but a lot of physicality, not a lot of flags being thrown. You wonder if referees are less willing to do that this time of year. They don't want to throw the big PI um, and teams are just willing to take the occasional PI rather than let Jamar Chase just run by them. He's normally so good at the contact point, but teams are really trying to get physical with him. And it's going to be interesting to watch that. You mentioned T. He mentioned the T one where he had his arm pinned. Higgins the same way, getting physical with him, trying not to just let him, you know, uh, run run free and, and be willing to take chances with the occasional flag. Um, that's something these guys have got to get better at fighting through as well as Burrow is going to continue to give them chances. Yeah, and not just that. I mean, there was a couple hits on on Sunday that looked like they could be defenseless receiver penalties, and they sure. were not called. And that it goes both ways. You know, if if the opponent is going to get physical and, and kind of test that out early, then do the Bengals pivot and try to play that game? Eli Apple is not a physical corner, but Cam Taylor Britt is, and and maybe if if they see that, where okay, it's going to be that kind of game where they're just not going to call the. The, the physicality and the PI, then you, you wonder if if that could benefit the Bengals as well. Uh, the other side for me in optimism is the there's a lot of familiarity in what we're seeing from this defense right now, and there's just the turnovers are rolling right. Mm. Like they're they're confusing people. They're getting they're getting more pressure. 
They're creating turnovers. Jesse Bates is playing great. You know, we've talked about him a little bit lately. Um, there's just a lot to like about now the defense has had its issues, but specifically the turnover thing. I mean, they've had six forced fumbles in the last five games. Um, and they've been in massive spots. A lot of them that that grip and rip mentality, not just straight strip sack type things like you saw from Hendrickson on the on the fumble for the touchdown. And to me, that's a good thing. That's that's the form that carried them through the playoffs last year. It doesn't have to be perfect. They don't have to be the stingiest defense, but really being having a knack for creating those turnovers, finding a way to get those um, is 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 a big deal. And they're kind of on a very familiar run in that regard. It's funny. I, I mean, maybe I could have saved this for Arby's, but it fits in here. When I was I was talking to all the defensive guys after the game and they were blasting the Ravens, uh, one of the things I was asking about the turnovers and Cam Taylor Britt talked about the one where Jesse Bates ripped it out from Sammy Watkins at the end of the game. Cam Taylor Britt and Jesse Bates were having a literal conversation as they're running down the field saying, hey, I've got his arm, get the ball. And they're they're like plotting <laughs> it out as it happens in real time. And Jesse was a – because uh, Cam said he had a little bit of the ball, but he didn't have enough. And he said, I'll get his arm, you get the ball, and and Jesse rips it out. And it ended up being a huge turnover. And yeah. it, every team talks about it, about attacking the ball, but this team is really, really good at it. Yeah, they're, they are really good at it. I, I don't think I've ever seen it – I've ever seen a single season – where or really these last two where a team is just so good at getting in and ri- and holding a holding a player up you know it's so mm-hmm. purposeful they hold them up uh and just they just constantly rip and rip and rip to try to get that so um all right we can now get forward with our good friend and yours mo egger uh mo what's going on how are we doing? I'm I'm just tweeting that I'm joining you guys. Oh, you should make sure you get that in there <laughs> yeah. so that people people can can hop on. We got to make sure we get that for you. Um, we've got a lot to get to here. I wanted to point out something, Mo, and I don't know that this has maybe been the case for a long time, and mm-hmm. I just didn't notice or forgot. But did you change your Twitter avatar to a picture from our show of you with your very rudimentary X's and O's on the yellow uh, paper? Yeah, it's been that uh, way for months. Thanks for paying attention. Yeah, it's good. I, I try not. That's what I try to do: is be as unobservant as possible. I didn't, yeah. couldn't remember how long if that had been that, that way for a while. I noticed it today. I was like, "Oh yeah, that's that happened in our show." It, it's been that way since uh, since that podcast appearance. I'm I'm always looking for a reason to change it. Nothing has come up since. So may, maybe today, maybe today will give us a uh, new profile pic fodder. But uh, uh, yeah, that's that's been. Uh, me, me diagramming why I hate the shovel pass has has been up for a while. <laughs> That's I guess that has been a long time. Um, I want to I want to start by asking you this, and that is um, something I heard you talk about with Tony Pike yesterday that I thought was a good starter. Is if and again, this is just in a scenario because it is possible. This is the NFL. If the Bengals lost on Sunday, this season would be what for you? Um, memorable and with a dramatically unfulfilling outcome, um, you know, relative to how they've gone into the postseason with eight straight wins relative to what the preseason expectations were. Um, I I think if this team were to lose on Sunday, it, it would, you know, we always, we used to do this back in the 
during the five-year stretch, toward the latter end of that five-year stretch of of consecutive postseason appearances in which the Bengals would lose. And there was always a, well, if they lose, what's the fallout? I don't know that the fallout has to be that dramatic, but I think what a lot of us will do is combine coming this close last year, falling short this season, and go, okay, how many more whacks at it are they really going to get? Look, the Bengals, as long as Joe Burrow is here, they're going to be relevant every single season. But in some years, you have a better chance of winning a championship than others. Um, not not every playoff team is a bona fide Super Bowl championship caliber team. I think we believe this year's team is. And so to fall short, especially in the first round, and and not even go on the road and play Josh Allen or go on the road and play Patrick Mahomes, but to lose at home to a Ravens team that over the last five or six weeks offensively has been limping to the finish line. I, I think it would be really hard to call the season itself a success. Um, that, that maybe that changes with the benefit of a few years. And if they win a title, perhaps what happens this season is just viewed as a, you know, ultimately as a stumbling block, uh, on the way to achieving the sort of success we all want to see, but 12 and four, um, with the team they have with the relative health, they have favored at home. You're supposed to win that football game. And so I I think there's different conversations to be had about, well, okay, how far do they have to go for us to call this season a failure versus success? We had that conversation before the season began. But to lose at home as a favorite in round one against a team that is either going to be starting a quarterback who hasn't played in a month and a half or a backup, I I think that would would feel really, really unfulfilling and would make many of us wonder, okay, how many chances are they going to blow before they break through and finally win? All right, let's just take a quick break. You know, we had this question on the the AFC North whip around last week where it was regardless of what happens in the postseason was was this year a success for the team you cover? And I said yes, just because back to back division champs for the first time in franchise history that tied for the longest win streak in division in, in team history tied for the most wins in franchise history. I, I, I guess it depends on the lens you want to look at it through. Is it is that we all took these pass fail classes in college? Mine was introduction to leisure. Um, do, do you look at it as a pass fail or do you look at it on a scale? Cause if it's, if it's a scale of a to F the normal one, then yeah, maybe it's a, maybe it's a B minus if it's a first round loss, but if you're just looking at it as success or failure, I, I don't know that you can lean toward failure with a, with a first round loss based on what they've accomplished in the regular season, which admittedly is not the most important part, but, but still there, there was a lot of good that's happened already. No question. And I think regardless of what were to happen on Saturday or regardless of what were to happen in the coming weeks, we're going to go into next season talking about how the Bengals are bona fide championship contenders. Maybe the season doesn't unfold that way. So um, I I think also the reaction to it is going to be based on kind of how likable this team is, right? Like people really like, really like the guys on this team, really like the vibe around this team. And I'm, I'm not sure with prior Bengals teams that fell short in the postseason that was really the case. And so I, I, I tend to believe that for a lot of folks, the disappointment isn't going to turn into anger because people love Joe Burrow. People love the personality of this team. Zach Taylor, understandably so, has won a lot of people over. Folks, really, really, there is a genuine 
I think even to a larger degree than last year, genuine kind of 2005 vibe in terms of the relationship that the public has with these guys. I think there will be more than at any other point, genuine disappointment for the players instead of anger over what they didn't do. But look, it's, it's not pass fail. I certainly don't look at it through the lens of Super Bowl championship or bust because I realize a, how hard it is to do that. B what their potential road looks like. But you know, again, um, 12 and four terrific in the final half of the regular season. They're favored. They're, you know, obviously the Alex Kappa situation is thrown a wrench into all this, but boy, their main skill guys are healthy. Uh, from a defensive standpoint, they've survived without Shadobi Awuzie. Toward the end of the season, when we were doing the whole, who would you rather play? Uh, more people said the Baltimore Ravens than almost anybody else. Now, the Miami Dolphins' recent struggles would certainly add them, them to that conversation, but a lot of it, we're get, it's it's in two, in 2013, right? They play the Chargers. And I, I remember, you know, 11 and five undefeated at home. And then the last couple of weeks figuring out like, okay, well, who could they play? Who do you want to play? They played the team. We all wanted them to play, right? They had just beaten them a month prior. They were avoiding the Steelers. It was a West coast team coming here to play in the cold weather. I mean, it was, it, we got what we wanted. I think to a degree, we're kind of getting what we want here uh, because of how the Ravens played offensively down the stretch. All of that combined, you lose that game on 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 uh, Sunday night. There is going to be an incredible amount of disappointment, I think, for some of us. And you know, it, it's, it's like walking out of SoFi Stadium last year. I I didn't feel any one thing, but part of what I felt was you just don't know when you're going to be in that position again. We just don't know when the Bengals are going to be 12 and four going into the playoffs on an eight game winning streak with the team they have right now and a lot of things pointing in their favor, you don't know. We, we certainly, we're certainly hopeful for what happens down the road. And I think most of us believe this team's overall championship window is pretty open, but you just don't know when you're going to be in this position again. And to a degree, many of us are getting the opponent we wanted. You're supposed to win this football game. If they're not playing next weekend, it's a tremendous missed opportunity. It's one that you think, God, are we going to look back on that and go, that represented their second best shot after 2021. And just, I think, overall disappointment for how suddenly it's over after months of buildup, months of buildup. We've been assuming they're going to be in the postseason since before the season began. Months of buildup. They lay an egg at home. Whew, uh, it, it Yes, it would be very unfulfilling. Maybe I would stop short of saying it's a failure, but it would certainly be uh, dramatically unfulfilling and disappointing. It'd be very Marvy, is what it would be. It's <laughs> <laughs> nothing you want to be. Now you, you start to, you start bringing up the 2013 Bengals playoff performance, and uh, you go to a real dark place sure. uh, for a lot of Bengals fans. Uh, but also, I mean, wouldn't wouldn't some context have to be applied? So, yeah. how do they lose? Do they lose? And we come out of the game, and we're all second guessing some sort of Zach Taylor decision. Do they lose where Joe Burrow makes a whole bunch of uncharacter uncharacteristic mistakes? Do they lose where the absence of Alex Kappa really dooms them? I mean, I, I do think some context is applied here. It's like the 2015 Steelers loss, massively disappointing, but you know, they they came this close to winning a playoff game for the first time in a quarter century with a backup quarterback. But what got added to the mix was how close they came and all the things that went against them in the final few minutes. And the franchise's recent history of postseason failures 
and the fact that they were about to lose a whole bunch of guys. So I think to a degree, any playoff loss, how did it occur? What were the circumstances? What did the opponent do? What mitigating factors were there? What's the recent history? What's the future look like? I think you have to put all those things in a formula and stir them up. And then to me, you kind of come up with how you feel. Yeah, I mean, it, exactly. I, I I view it as a two part test, right? The first the first part of their test, which is uh, um, uh, you know what it depends on the person decides what percentage of the grade that is overall for the season. Seventy five percent of your overall grade, A, right? Mm-hmm. You you've made yourself one of the five teams that have a legitimate chance that are viewed as the Super Bowl you know, true contenders. That is a very 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 hard thing to do. You've put yourself in great position, A. You, you earned that, but. 25, 30% of your grade is how you play if you're judging the whole season. From this point going forward, this is where it all matters. This is what you're defined by. They obviously were A-plus until the very end last year um, as far as overachieving and, and making a special run. Can they prove to be that team again? That is a, a, a TBD if we'll see if they, they rise to the occasion. But we have we have a lot to get to with bets, Mo, so we have to make sure we save time because we have pending bets that are being that were decided, Jay, because we had all our season bets have come to an end. Let's quickly run through this totally fictional, not for real money experience. Yeah. So uh, Mo had four. Well, he had he had three pending bets settled. He still has one bet pending, but I'm not going to score it yet. But he's probably lost. Joe Burrow's not going to win MVP. Um, he had five fictional units on Jamar being offensive player of the year. That's not going to happen. He no. put 10 on Tomlin to have a losing season. Oh, uh, man. <laughs> he, he avoided that. But Mo did get the Bengals to win the AFC North at plus 350 for 10. So a nice, a nice win there. Um, Paul's pending bets. You have 15 on the Bengals to win 13 games at seven to one. The cancellation of the Bills game really screwed you there, which, Mm. by the way, that's if we're talking pass fail, all that. uh, A lot of this can be blaming the teacher, i.e. Roger Goodell, for the way this whole thing is played out and then not getting a shot to to (laughs) have home field advantage all the way through the the postseason. The principal. Yeah, the principal. Uh, Paul also had 10 on Burrow to go over 34 and a half touchdown passes. Uh, He made that bet at the halfway point when Burrow had 18. So he hit that one. Um we can probably, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to rule this one out yet because it it's not official, but he also has Doug Peterson at 16 to 1 to be coach of the year. Not I, out of the question. I think it's going to be Brian Dable, but uh, yeah, that's, that, it's not out of the question. So our current standings, let me get back to my other page here. There's so much. There's so much. Paul. Yes. You are clinging to a lead. Last week, but after Mo hit his future bet, Mo is now the leader at two forty five point four. Wow. Paul two thirteen and I'm at one thirty seven point six. Last week. Oh, uh, another uh, Mo had a pending one last week too. Brian Dable to be coach of the year at eight to five. So he could add to that total. Um, Every other bet last week lost except. I went ahead and took the Bengals. I got them at six and a half <laughs> and it went up to 11 by the time of kickoff. So um, I, I hit that one, but my five team parlay missed. You guys both took Raiders chiefs over uh, for plus nine and a half. Uh, that did not cover. And Paul took Vegas, Kansas city over, and that did not hit. So Mo, what you got this week? I'm going to race 
to the front of a line that's going to start forming right around 1130 <laughs> on Saturday night. Okay. So you can find at most sports books odds on specific Super Bowl com uh, combinations. Yeah. So you can, you can make a wager on Bengals will play the 49ers. I haven't seen any of those for the AFC championship game or the NFC championship game. I'm sure somebody has them in my uh, very brief uh, research. I did not see those. So here's my question. What odds will you guys give me on Bengals chargers AFC championship game, which would be played at Paycor stadium? Mm -hmm. um, the chargers, if they win on Saturday, and I think they will, we'll get to that in a second. First of all, as soon as it happens, Everybody is going to race to the front of the line, push each other out of the way to hot take everybody and tell the world how the Chargers are going to go to Kansas City and win. I will be the first to do that. Both games were decided by three points. In both games, the Chargers had a fourth quarter lead. In one of them, they gave up the, the, uh, the lead in the final two minutes. They've gotten healthier. They've dodged a bullet with Mike Williams. Justin Herbert's going to have his moment. It's going to occur at Arrowhead Stadium. So... Obviously, they're going to beat Jacksonville, and then they're going to go to Kansas City and win. I like the Bengals on Saturday. I think they then go to Buffalo and win, and Paycor Stadium hosts the AFC Championship game against the Chargers. What odds will you gentlemen give me on that scenario unfolding? I'm not good at that kind of thing. I have um, – there's people that we can reach out to that, that will okay. – probably give us so I'll, I'll do that this week and then um i will let you know and and we'll i'll post it on twitter too so people watching right now can can see i i mean i if i had to wager i guess 20 to 1 i don't okay. know I, I i have no idea um how those guys come up with those numbers but um i like i, mean, they, I like the they idea they would be significant because the Chargers would have to win two road games to get yes. there. They would have to go to Kansas City and beat the top seed. Cincinnati will have to go to Buffalo. They were home dogs in the game that got canceled. So obviously we would expect them to be home dogs if they went to Buffalo. I think most of us, most of us expect the Bills to, to handle Miami pretty easily. And obviously Cincinnati has to get through Baltimore. So I think the odds would be substantial. But that Chargers team to me, we all talked about how that's the team you don't want to play. I think they can go to Kansas City and win. I do think they beat Jacksonville, even though I think that game is really interesting. So find out, come to an agreement on the odds you'll give me. And then along with that, I'm going to go ahead and make my Bengals-related bet. I don't believe in doing parlays, but let's get creative here. I'm going to go Cincinnati-LA Week 1 Playoff Moneyline Parlay. Okay. I like it. Uh, Jay, what do you got? Uh, I'm kind of with Mo. I don't know that I would want to take the Bengals. Um giving up any kind of points against against Baltimore. I am leaning towards them winning at home. I'm going to go the opposite way. I just, with the Bengals O-line situation, with the way the run game has struggled, with what the the Ravens offense is, whether Lamar's in there or not, I'm going Bengals-Baltimore under 43.5 for 15. And then Parlay J is back. Um, I think double laying double digit points in the in the playoffs is ridiculous. Give me Seattle plus ten, Miami plus ten and a half, and I'm with Mo. I think the Chargers win that game easy. They're minus one, uh, so three team parlay for five fictional units. Okay, uh, Jay, I was per uh, Mo. I was personally offended when you uttered the phrase. Obviously, the Chargers beat Jacksonville at one point. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't. I don't like that at all. Uh, uh, by the way. Jags to win the Super Bowl going off at plus 5,000 right now. If you want a piece, mm. I think mm. that's good value for Trevor Lawrence. 
50 to 1? I mean, look, Burrow was in it last Josh year. Dobbs. They won. <laughs> they won. They beat the Cowboys. They won. Trevor Lawrence is playing well. Doug Peterson now has to take Team Super Bowl. Give him a chance. At fi- I'm not saying they're winning at 50 to 1. At 50 <laughs> to 1. Uh, so. I'm not gonna go. I, I'm. I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> uh, I need to hit something this weekend. Apparently, so I'm gonna go. Tampa Bay uh, is gonna beat Dallas. Tampa Bay. I want them on the money line. Uh, I don't even need the plus three. And then I want. I got San Francisco to cover the ten against Seattle. Put those together. That's plus three twenty. Um, so, and I'm gonna do ten on that. And then uh, you know, there of the big five, the best value is the Cincinnati Bengals. So uh, give me the other 10 on Bengals to win the Super Bowl at plus 750 right now. Uh, so you can put those two together. And I, can I just throw in the Jackson? Can I, can I just do a little bit on the – can I just – will you give me a third? Can I just throw Jags in or will you not let me? Just for one? I'm fine with it. One fictional yeah. unit on the, yeah, on the we'll, Jags. Because so there's fit- no way it's going to happen, so we'll let you. Just put. want to make sure I put it in there. Okay. All right. There we go. That's uh, that's That's what I got. All right. Mo, I had a whole thing that I was going to ask you. We had we spent too much time, so I don't have time for three downs. But I was going to ask you if Tommy Tuberville coached the Georgia Bulldogs this season, would they still have won the national title? <laughs> <laughs> if Tommy Tuberville would have coached the Georgia Bulldogs, he would have been the most pissed off person in the United States that he had to work so late into the season. <laughs> Wait a minute, we we have to play on. On January 9th, yeah. with two postseason games, <laughs> we're doing what? I got golf. What are we? What yeah. are we talking about here? And I, and with all that said, I think they still would have probably won. They certainly would have beat TCU. There's no. I question. think I could have coached Georgia no last doubt. night, and yeah. and they would have they would have won that game. <laughs> all right, Mo, appreciate it. I will uh, see you this afternoon on ESPN fifteen thirty. All right, Jay, let's um talk a little bit about something uh that's been on the mind and i've got stats you know it's big when i've got stats okay now this is something uh we're talking about momentum right now listener you're listening way to go i'm gonna address you directly think about this i have trivia for you in the super bowl era back to 1966 how many times do you think there a playoff has started where there have been not one not two but three teams on streaks of at least seven consecutive victories currently the san francisco 49ers the cincinnati Bengals, and the buffalo bills all fit that uh, oh, by the way, also just on a side note, Kansas City Chiefs six and one, Jaguars six and one in their last seven. There are some smoking hot teams, but three teams have won at least seven in a row. Listener, you still listening? How many times in the Super Bowl do you think that's happened? The answer: zero. Never. We have never seen this before, where there have been three teams on streaks that are this long entering the playoffs, which, as it tends to do, got me thinking, Jay. It got me thinking, how do those teams do? Does that matter? And there's been a bunch of, there's been a few times where two teams in the same season are on streaks. We've seen it a decent amount of times. What has happened since the turn of the century, 16 times, 
that a team has been on a streak of at least seven consecutive victories entering the postseason. We kind of touched on a version of this a few weeks ago. Of those 16, seven never won a game. Seven. Seven never won a playoff game. They lost their first playoff game. That is amazing. Momentum, it just ain't a thing in the playoffs. It hasn't been. How many teams won the Super Bowl of those 16? Well, three. The 2016 New England Patriots, who came back from 28-3 to down to beat the Falcons. Needed a near miracle to do it. The 03 Patriots and 2000 Baltimore won. Now, if you were to make the line of demarcation 2004, you could say one of the last 14 won a Super Bowl and it took a near miracle to do it. There's just no indication, no precedent that these types of streaks lead to any amount of consistent or predicted success. It does not mean it cannot happen. The The bigger picture to me of it, though, is the momentum of this for the Bills, for the Niners, for the Bengals, is really a non-factor. The the cliche of, you know, it starts, goes back to 0-0 is absolutely true. It doesn't matter how hot you are. You can be the 2012 Denver Broncos and have won 11 straight games and then watch Joe Flacco throw one over the top of your safety and win in overtime to beat you in the divisional round. You could be the 2019 Baltimore Ravens, who I'm going to have to bring this up, sadly, to Hayden Hurst uh, this week, and have won 12 straight games, be on fire, and lose your first game in the divisional round of the Tennessee Titans. You could be any number of these teams that have lost in the wild card. You could be Peyton Manning, prime, 08, one nine in a row and losing the wild card round in your first game. It happens. There's there's no thing, there's nothing that says, man, these teams that come in hot on these long streaks, they continue. There's just nothing that says it. That doesn't mean it can't. My point is that the momentum means zilch. It's how are you right now? How are you today? Where as you sit? And I think that's an important thing to remember. I would like to just point out, first of all, that I I got robbed of my glory a little bit because you were so eager to read that trivia question to me yesterday, and I did get it right. I did guess zero, so I want to point that out because I would have been able to guess it here live. (laughs) Pat yourself on the Uh, back. Yep. Um, The other thing is I I wonder how many of these – you see it in basketball all the time uh, when a team gets down by a lot and they go on this incredible run to get back even or take take the lead. And it takes everything out of them just to get there, and they end up losing. The the ones you mentioned, the the Peyton Manning one, that's probably not the case. But I wonder how many of these teams that go on these late season runs like this start the year poorly or even five hundred, and they kind of get in that play playoff mode so early, and they they have to finish strong like that, and then you, they hit that reset, and they're just they're gassed. And I don't feel like that's the case. With this Bengals team, even even if it's not about getting into the playoffs, a lot of time there's that fight for the one seed or for a division title where you 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 have to win game after game after game 
And um, the, I, the Bengals were going for that until the Buffalo game got canceled. They, they were fighting for that one seed. Um, but it, it's a great point because it is. It's just regular season ends and you just shut the door. It's so cliche where everybody's zero, zero, new season and all that. But it's cliche for a reason. It is absolutely real. Yeah. That's stunning to me, though. To to see the, the history and the and just the fact that so few teams have been able to make real runs. I mean, you've had a few that have lost in the Super Bowl, but you know you've only of those you know of those sixteen, um, you know you've only had five that have even made it to the Super Bowl. Three winners and two losers of the Super Bowl. So um, just something again to keep in the back of your mind. I don't necessarily think it means anything for what the Bengals will or can do i just think it's important to keep perspective of in terms of momentum the importance mm-hmm. of, of momentum and really the, the lack of importance of momentum i guess i should say all right let's revisit some predictions jay jay you tweeted this out uh some things that you predicted at mid-season and you were on fire this is not to pat ourselves in the back i think there's something to be said for sort of the perspective of where things were at and were headed and i have something from my predictions from before the year that um, I think are important for perspective of of where we should view where they're at right now as well. Jay, how did you do those midseason predictions? Well, I, I had I had some main ones, and then I had some quick hitters. Um, my main ones I did really well. I said, and I don't know how much these aren't huge limbs. I went out on on some of these. I said Drew Chrisman would replace Kevin Huber. We obviously saw that. Uh, I said a cornerback would make an interception. That is not a limb to go out on normally, but the, no one had had one at any point. They they now have two. Trey Flowers has one. Mike Hilton has one. Um, the, I thought the big one. I, I I said that the Bengals would sweep the AFC North. And they did. They they won. They won all their rematches against the Browns, Steelers, and Ravens. Um, so big spot to get in there. Uh, I had Burrow breaking his own touchdown pass record, which you had as part of your fictional bet as well. Um, he, he also broke uh, Carson Palmer's mark of uh, three seventy three completions. Um, the the I said they would advance in the playoffs. So that one's still TBA. Um, some of the rapid fire ones, I said, T Higgins would beat chase to a thousand yards, but chase would finish with more yards. Um, that did not happen. I mean, Higgins beat him there, but, um, chase did not finish with more. Uh, I said, Mixon would top his career high of 15, 19 scrimmage yards. That didn't happen. Um, I went out on a little bit of a limb saying Hubbard would finish with more sacks than Trey Hendrickson. He had the lead going into Sunday and then Trey got two to, to win that, that battle. Um, and then I predicted Trent Taylor would lead the AFC in punt return average, and he finished second. So I did pretty good overall. Yeah. Um, one thing that I wanted to pull back on, now I, I had, before the season started, I had the Bengals winning 11 games, um, 11 and 6. Um, they, I did not anticipate and was wrong about the idea that they would finish this hot, win eight in a row. How could mm-hmm. I have not known that they would win eight in a row and whip <laughs> through Kansas City and that run teams? Yeah, I mean, the, obviously what they've done has has been a special run the second half of the season to take them to the next level. Um, but that said, I you know I I do think that this was key. This is actually something that I wrote in the preseason, and I'm saying this for perspective. I said in my eyes, 
Their run will again involve double-digit wins, an AFC North crown, and a home playoff victory. Anything after that, playing against a combination of Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, or Patrick Mahomes in January is a coin flip, and one I'm predicting the Bengals don't win as they did last year. So in a weird way, that's beside the point. Put yourselves in games late in January enough, and the Lombardi Trophy will eventually end up in your building. The Bengals will be in the conversation at the end as a real Super Bowl contender in the loaded AFC. Uh, the only number that matters to support that take for Cincinnati is number nine. I think that has proven itself where you thought it would be, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I think that was the consensus at the beginning of the year was be in this mix. The AFC is loaded. Be there amongst that group of elite quarterbacks at the end, and and that's all you can do. I think that's a perspective that's important in regards to the conversation that we were talking about with Mo before is all you can do is put yourself in this position enough and eventually the the game will go your way. The call will go your way. You will win the Super Bowl. And that's that's the point of, I think, the borough, the, the window is my career mm-hmm. is because it is. Because with him, you can continue to put yourself in the conversation. You can do like Patrick Mahomes is doing – potentially getting to five straight AFC title games like Tom Brady did in all the AFC title games in a row. That's that's success. You know, that's putting yourself in that position. Now they have to do that. They have to go win this playoff game uh this weekend to get themselves into that mix of these, you know, the the big elite teams. Um I also I almost got all seven AFC playoff teams correct. Only missed on the I had the Colts in and instead of the Dolphins, I had the Jags in, but I had them in as a wild card. Uh, so back padding for that since we're padding backs today. But and then the NFC playoff teams, I had two wrong. I had the Rams and the Packers in and yeah. did not have Seattle and the Giants in. Almost went six for seven uh, in both. I also had the Packers winning the Super Bowl. So whatever, I'm an idiot. But, uh, you know, the point I think the biggest point is be in the mix. And I think. They certainly have done that and put themselves in the mix as we look back at predictions from the beginning of the season. All right, Jay, Arby's. Any Arby's for you? Um, I, I had a, a couple. Uh, one was before we went into the locker room. I I just I thought this was so weird. I, I don't know if it was even seen in Baltimore. Um or if it was what the reaction was. But when that game ended, Cam Taylor Britt took off running with a member, uh, Demarion Williams, I believe it was, of the of the Ravens. He took off running down to near the tunnel where the Bengals go out. And they're both laughing and pointing up in the stands. And then they both do a little dance. The Ravens just lost a game. And one of their players is dancing. And I asked, I asked Cam about it. And he said he just became really good friends with that guy during the draft process. And his parents became friends with him. And he said he, he had to take him over to see his parents. So they were pointing up in the stands at Cam's mom and dad. And his dad started doing the little dance. So they both had to do the little dance on the field. I just, I thought, I don't, Yes, the Ravens weren't going all out to win that game, but I, I still don't think that would be received very well if anyone on Baltimore saw that. Uh, the other one was in the postgame celebration in the locker room. Uh, two unique uh, interactions, I guess, with players. I talked about this on the walkout. Eli Apple putting me on his Instagram story was just <laughs> odd. And my daughter, who teaches middle school STEM at Garfield, said she put that up on 
on the video at, at class. And when I came up, she said the classroom erupted. They loved it. So I'm, I'm glad. Thank you, Eli, for that. The other one was, you know how I feel about hugs. And I went up to <laughs> congratulate jo- Joseph Osai about his first career touchdown. And he gives me the bro hug. I was like, oh, this is unique, but I wasn't going to turn it down. Um, that's the first time I've had a player give me a hug. It just shows you how happy and excited those guys were that they're, they're putting me on video and giving me hugs after a, a win. You know how I feel about hugs, Morrison said. <laughs> and I don't like them. Uh, new profile pic, Jay? I don't know. I don't know. It's a little blurry, and it, 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 it is me. I just I don't. <laughs> it makes me look a little too fan. No, I, I understand. Yeah, you, yes. you don't expect someone to turn an Instagram story on no. in the middle of an interview, but uh, <laughs> it's fair enough. Um, I will start Arby's with good friend, uh, C. Trent Rosecrans, winning Ohio Sports Writer of the Year. Congrats, C. Trent, uh, from the National Sports Media Association. He's a multi-winner of that one. I know he's won mm-hmm. it before. Um, so congrats to him. Well-deserved. Uh, also, Chris Welch, Broadcaster of the Year. Um, so it just goes to show, even if your team stinks, you can still do good work. In fact, yes. it should be. it's really appreciated how hard it is to do that job when the team is a total tire fire. Um, all right. I also want to bring it. So we, we, you heard Brian Callahan earlier on the show, and we were done with him. We were kind of just talking. I was just kind of curious. We were BSing with him a little bit about the. I don't know if you've seen this. I, I tweeted it out because Brian Baldinger did a video of it with the All Twenty Two, but um, the play where Joe Burrow, not the not where he makes four guys miss for the in the scramble, but another one where he works the pocket and makes a couple guys miss, does like a big jump step back, and then he climbs the pocket forward with Patrick Queen coming right at him. And when you look, you know, we, you really couldn't tell this live, and certainly not from the press box, but in the All-22, you see it clear as day. He then throws a no-looker to Tyler Boyd on that crosser with Patrick Queen up under his chin and just freezes the linebacker as Boyd runs behind him. And Brian was basically saying, I mean, that that I think that's one of my favorite plays I've ever seen him make, you know, in favorite plays of the year uh, because it's just unbelievable. I mean, it's a, just mm-hmm. freeze the linebacker and that kind of pocket movement and presence and then do the no look at the end of it when you're getting lit up. It's one thing, you know, very famously, obviously, people made a big deal out of the Matt Stafford no look uh, on kind of on Von Bell in the Super Bowl. Which is a fantastic play, an incredible no look pass and credit. And we see Mahomes do things like that. Most of them don't come while on the run and someone about to hit you. Like you're doing it when you're comfortable in the pocket. And that's what those have been. This one, I mean, that's that's just stupid. That is just silly. The the amount of pocket presence and poise it takes and swag it takes to do that that way in that spot and I thought it was Brian talking about how that's just like one of his favorite plays of the year is just unbelievable I, I think anybody that understands true quarterbacking understands that that is as elite as elite gets you know you're right we we couldn't tell from watching it from the press box that that it was a no look and I still wrote down wow after that yeah. play because of what you said the way he avoided the pressure climbed the pocket he he hit Tyler Boyd in stride, full speed, perfectly. If he, if I assumed he was looking right at Boyd when he threw it, and still thought it was a wow throw, and then you see the fact that it was a no look, and he put it right there on the spot. It was, it that may be the most memorable pass of from Burrow this year. Yeah, 
pocket wizardry is what I tweeted, I believe, at that moment, <laughs> which is what I it constantly is. Uh, I mean, we remember when when Burrow was drafted, it was that was always the mm-hmm. thing every scout said was you've just never seen anybody coming out with this kind of pocket movement and pocket presence, pocket poise. Um, and it's just it's grown. It's grown since he's gotten mm-hmm. into the league, and what you saw on Sunday is a bigger example of it. It's going to be needed, Jay. Well, um, I was going to say it's grown because it's, it's had to grow. <laughs> yeah, he's got a lot of, lot of time on task on that, and that's going to be the case again. Um, unfortunately, we have to report the growler bet, null and void for a second mm-hmm. straight week. Uh, Mark Andrews, they end up sit, resting him. Uh, so the idea of Andrews's percentage of total passing yards was off the books perhaps maybe we bring it back and have a double growler next week jay to yeah. uh to as a make good on that i mean we should do a triple growler we lost the buffalo growler bet as well come on jay <laughs> jesus we just gave away all that free beer you, you got to take that up with optimistic bobby if you're going to be over here <laughs> just giving away uh three growler bets in one game. I think I think a make good is fine on the Mark Andrews uh, that we'll, okay. we'll turn around next week. So listen on Thursday for what that and then the other one will be. Uh also got a really good Twitter run passer boot. We wanted to give it a give it a run out here before we head out and that was from Derek Lance who said a confidence meter run passer boot. Which situation gives you the most confidence this week in the Bengals? Bengals down four with two minutes in the ball. Bengals up four with two minutes left and Ravens ball. Bengals down two with two seconds left and Money Mac kicking a 45-yard field goal. What an excellent run passer boot this is, Derek. It is great, and it's hard, which is why it's great. Um I think I would run with the Bengals having the lead and the Ravens having the ball. I just that that Ravens offense isn't great. Uh, this Bengals defense has a knack for coming up with the, the turnovers, the big stops in positions like that. It sounds crazy not to want the ball in Joe Burrow's hand with the game on the line. But um, as far if you're doing confidence meter, I would go. You would want the lead anyhow. Um, so, yeah, give the Bengals the lead. Um, the, the real tough one for me are, are these next two because a 45 yard field goal for McPherson normally is it, it feels like it's just rubber stamped but we have seen a, a little bit of struggles this year and we know what Burrow is but for, for Burrow to drive the team down the field more plays have to be made with McPherson kicking the field goal I, I think I'm going to pass on or use the pass on McPherson with one kick to win the game. And and I'm going to boot as crazy as it sounds, putting the ball in Joe Burrow's hands down four points. I'm going to do the same. Um, and you're right. It sounds crazy, but I just think it's it, the situation you're setting up is unfair to Burrow. Mm. I mean, you're talking in a, in a worst case, what, what percentage chance that money Mac hits from 45? I mean, he's what 77% on the year or something. And that's a mm. low. I mean, that is a the worst case scenario, a seventy five percent chance. It's re- more realistically an eighty five to ninety percent chance that Money Mac hits that one. Okay, so seven, let's say seventy five percent chance. T- 
touchdown rates are not 75% on any drive, okay? <laughs> like, to, that would be an insane offense, the greatest in the history of football, if you converted touchdowns at a 75% rate to go win a game. That's just unfair to, to Burrow in this spot. That said, I will take this defense against mm. Snoop Huntley um, up four, taking Justin Tucker out of the equation, absolutely, uh, because I think that's the mismatch that is why you think the Bengals should win. The, the reason the Bengals should beat the Ravens, they are an elite elite offense against an elite defense when you talk about Burrow versus that Ravens D, but it's the quality Bengals defense against a not so Ravens offense. That's the difference. So you'll take your biggest mismatch in the biggest spot. And that's why I'm with you. I think that's, I think that's the way to go, but yeah, so this is not disrespect to Joe Burrow. It's strictly about of numbers and, and, and about just the percentages of anybody in the NFL uh, getting a touchdown on a drive. Do I think he would do it at a high rate? I sure do. Um, But I also think lining up a 45 yard field goal, would he do it a lot? I sure do. It's they're all kind of you. You sure expect them to to complete it? Because McPherson has a little bit of that clutch gene, like Burrow does. I mean, look at his misses this year outside of the Pittsburgh game, where the the long snapper issue came into play. Not a lot of them have been clutch. Got to have it. Field goals last year, twelve of twelve in the playoffs, two walk off gamer winners. Um, yeah, I, I think Burrow down four with the ball. Hate to say it, fans. Maybe a coin flip. But still, 50% is a great percentage in that situation, but it's not Evan McPherson making a 45% field goal percentage. 50% touchdown rate would be far and away the greatest Mm -hmm. offense in the NFL this year. (laughs) Um, All right. That sounds great. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will be back on Thursday. Dan Horde will join us. Jeff Zrebeck will join us. If you're watching on – thanks, everybody, that watched on YouTube and in the comments. I've appreciated it there. Glad you enjoyed my laughing over the Manscaped Dad by Jay. <laughs> uh, sorry. I just couldn't contain myself. Uh, but uh, thanks, everybody, for on YouTube. Jeff Zrebeck's interview with Jay will be up on YouTube before the uh, the podcast is. So if you're a YouTube person, you can go check that out uh, while you wait for our second podcast this week. And then, of course, on Sunday, we will have – the walkout after the Bengals-Ravens playoff game, which kicks at 8.15 on Sunday night. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Have a good one.